Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Brony and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. You guys, I'm so excited for this episode. Oh my gosh. Welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have one of my very closest friends ever. She's like soul sister. I mean, we joke and say we were Siamese twins in a past life. Like, you know, <laughs> we were. I was going to say Russian we Siamese were. twins, but I'm like, oh, that's a little like tender right now. <laughs> Maybe we were like Ukrainian Siamese twins we back were. in the day. And um, you guys, uh, please meet Krista Anderson. She is just one of the most amazing human beings you'll ever meet. One of the, like, Tristan was so smart. And Krista is the exact same. Like, when I think people that are like Tristan, like, Tristan was this, like, walking encyclopedia, knew everything about everything, lived 100 lives. Like, this is Krista to a T. They're so similar. And um, she has a phenomenal story. And if you've been following me on Instagram, you may know that Krista and I are starting a ketamine clinic together here. It's going to be at the same location as Prova Health. And today we're going to talk in the podcast as to the journey as to why ketamine, why this. And so as many of you know, you know my story with Tristan, his almost five-year battle with cancer. And you guys have picked up on the little snippets here and there about the amount of trauma that it involved and uh, it was really, it was a traumatic, traumatic journey. And watching Tristan go through that, and even myself, like we were, there were just months where we were drowning. And I feel like I'm still drowning sometimes, even though I have done so much healing. Like there are weeks or days where I am right back in it and I'm still healing. And, um, and this is going to be a while for me, you know? And so even with all the tools and all the knowledge that I have, it is still so hard. And I can't imagine what it's like for people that don't have the tools and the resources that I have and the mentors that I have, right? And so I want you to hear Krista's story. She has a phenomenal story. And then we want to talk about what we want to do in the world of mental health for people that have had journeys like ours or people that have had traumatic uh, diagnoses and people that just have trauma in general, or, you know, they are just struggling with anxiety and depression. I mean, if you weren't around in 2020, where were you? You know, every, we globally were traumatized and people, but it wasn't that traumatized us. That was just the straw that broke camel's back. It shone a light on a mental health crisis that has been brewing for a long time and we are now in it. And so with that whole intro, I want you to meet Krista. Welcome, my love. (laughs) Thank you, love. I love you so much, and I'm so excited to do something impactful with you. Regarding Tristan and my relationship with Jeanique and Tristan, Tristan and I often would discuss how we were the only two people in a room full of people who could really understand what the other person was going through, and that was because both of us were experiencing cancer together. And uh, as a cancer patient... People look at you differently. You're perceived differently. People, there's pity Mm -hmm. that kind of surrounds you. And feeling pitiful for me is one of the worst feelings. I know it was for Tristan, and we had that conversation frequently. 
I have a long history with cancer. When I was 10 years old, my mom was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. She was given a very short time to live, but did some really awful treatments. This is, of course, back in the late 80s, early 90s, did some awful treatments that were somewhat experimental that really impacted her mental health and the way that she treated our family. And when I was just 17, she passed away uh, Mm -hmm. from cancer. And I was, at the time, I was so relieved by her passing. And throughout my life, I felt a lot of guilt for feeling that kind of relief. And uh, then I have a sister who is a year older than me who was diagnosed with cancer when she was 31. And she went through breast cancer. And then in December of 2020, on Christmas Eve, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer that had um, spread to my lymph nodes. And one of the first people that I called was Jeanique and came and met with Jeanique. We talked about not just the emotional trauma of it, because Mm -hmm. Jeanique and Tristan were really steeped in things at that time, but what could I do for my health as well? And Jeanique even came with me to my first oncology Mm -hmm. appointment. So that will tell you just how close we are and how much I trust Jeanique. Um, I spent 2021 in cancer treatment. I had 16 rounds of chemotherapy, a double mastectomy, 28 rounds of radiation. And they don't use the word remission, currently for patients like me uh, until you are cancer-free for six years. So I'm kind of in this, I don't know what to call myself stage, but just Mm -hmm. a stage of moving forward with my life. One of the things that was, was really difficult for me when I was diagnosed with cancer was projecting my mom's experience onto myself. God, that must have been really hard to struggle with like to to deal with and wrestle with and like please keep going though oh my gosh I didn't even think of that and how like re-traumatizing that could have been it was super traumatizing in fact the first time I met with an oncologist and he told me that I would need adriamycin as one of my chemotherapies I lost my mind Mm -hmm. over that because I remember my mom getting adriamycin at the Mm -hmm. time they called it red death now they call it the red devil devil. Mm -hmm. and it's because it's red in color it it Mm -hmm. is a big fat syringe of red liquid that they inject over a a slow period of time so that it doesn't cause your heart to fail while they're injecting it and it makes you incredibly sick and I remember as a child seeing how sick my mom was Mm -hmm. because of that medicine so I was super traumatized to find out that I would be getting that and I was angry I was angry so I went looking for some additional mental health and I found that very few people could empathize with me. Very few people in the therapy world could understand what I was going through. Um, The support groups that I chimed into typically just tended to be a lot of complaining and a lot of misery and it increased the sadness. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want that. I was very careful to cultivate and curate an environment for myself that could help me be mentally strong so that I could deal with this physical battle. And that led me to alternate forms of therapy, including ketamine-assisted therapy, to work through my trauma with my mother, the guilt I was feeling for the, the relief I felt at the time of her death, and then also the trauma of my own cancer experience and losing control of my body, feeling completely disassociated with how how is this happening to my body when I thought I had done so many things right to prevent it? Right. And what we've been talking about too is like 
you know, there, there's talk therapy, but it doesn't even scratch the surface. It doesn't, I mean, when you, and maybe this is arrogance on my part, but like when I'm talking with therapists about my experience, I'm like, unless you have been through this, like, I don't know if you have a lot of depth for me, you know, like you telling me to one, do things like meditation, like meditation is so effective and all of these things are so effective. But when you're in a trigger and you are in heavy, heavy stuff, like there are very few things that can break through, you know, talk there. You're lucky if talk therapy can break you through or out of a trigger or a heavy, heavy place. And so it's hard for me to, and I've spoken with therapists um, and, but it was really hard to be able to change the energy when, when you over a long period of time are just like stewing and like, you know, ruminating in worst case scenarios over and over and over. And I say this all the time, but neurons that fire together, wire together. And so when you're ruminating in worst case scenario, because how can you not, you have death, like breathing down your neck. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even the cancer patient. I was the caregiver, right? And the amount of the darkness that you go through is unbearable sometimes it's unbearable and then I'm like how can a therapist help me I think I'm like too far gone like I remember having thoughts of like I'm too far gone for talk therapy like no one can help me no one can save me like I will probably die from stress in 10 years if I'm lucky one of the therapists that I'm very familiar with he ran a cancer support group for about 20 years Mm -hmm. and then experienced cancer himself over the past couple of years Mm -hmm. and has said I feel like I need to apologize to all these people that I counseled on cancer yeah. because I really didn't know what I was talking right, about. Right. And uh, really until you are in that place as a caregiver or as a patient, there is no way to fully understand the experience. There and isn't. talk therapy, uh, I went to talk therapy all throughout my cancer treatment and continue to do that. However, there is so much that can't be understood right. and so much of it is an inside job. Mm-hmm. And cancer is a very lonely experience, even if you're surrounded by a lot of people. Yeah. And that is true of caregivers. And I have witnessed some of that and seen your journey with taking care of Tristan. And even though you may have people around you, it is still isolating, very. lonely and very helpless. Very, very. So you did talk therapy throughout and you've done the ketamine. Um, can you tell listeners what was the difference and like what were the pros and cons to each? Talk therapy really for me was just a dump. I would go mm-hmm. in and I would dump for an hour mm-hmm. and that therapist would probably say a couple of sentences during the whole thing because I just needed a safe mm-hmm. space to download all of my thoughts and feelings and frustrations without anybody trying to tell me how to fix it, without mm-hmm. anybody telling me if I was right or wrong, I just needed to dump. Mm -hmm. So talk therapy really was more like just me talking and hearing myself talk and having somebody nod and acknowledge me and recognize me. And that sometimes was all I could do. That was all I needed. But I was also so sick at that time. It took a lot of energy to go to talk therapy. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I finished cancer treatment that I decided to try ketamine assisted therapy. And I decided to try it because I had been exploring the idea of more heart and mind altering or opening substances that could help me deal particularly with my projection of my mom's experience onto my own. Mm -hmm. And then the fears of this genetic causation that I have being passed down to my children and what are they Mm -hmm. going to experience with cancer in the future, if anything. Mm -hmm. Um, 
ketamine-assisted therapy, I felt like resolved issues I'd been trying to resolve for 20 years. Amazing. Um, I had been going to talk therapy for 20 years. I'd had many experiences talking about how I felt about my mom, about how my dad responded, about how each of my sisters and I's experience with cancer as children, and then the aftermath of losing a parent to cancer at a fairly young age. I had been to a lot of therapy, but I hadn't had a lot of breakthroughs, and Mm -hmm. I had never been able to relieve that sense of guilt I felt for my response to her death. Yeah, Uh, Ketamine therapy within a couple of treatments, and I did six ketamine treatments. Within a couple of treatments, I came to really accept that my feelings were okay as they were. I didn't need to justify them. I didn't need to talk them away. Mm -hmm. I needed to just accept that that was a part of my life. That was a huge trauma that I had, and it was okay that I felt the way I did. Amazing. And I'm, I'm at peace with that now. I'm not grappling with what kind of person am I to feel this way now it's that was my experience and I'm okay with that it's almost like you had a hard reset in your brain and a hard reset around that experience where where your subconscious and your conscious brain were are looking at it from a completely different angle and an angle that is less embedded in stories that you pick up when you're young, right? Because totally. I, I mean, I should be. Yes. Right. Like we, we just should on ourselves all day long yep. from like the time we're like five onwards. Right. Yeah. And we pick up these stories of, we should be this, we should be that we should be this. And so what ketamine, what I've seen helps us do is actually like, I don't want to say drop into your higher self, but it kind of does something like that where yeah. it like that neuro wiring of like, you should be this way. You should interpret it this way. It completely goes away and you look through it through a completely different lens totally different lens. And there's a disassociative effect Mm -hmm. to the ketamine. That was my experience. I Mm -hmm. experienced not being my body anymore. I experienced not being a cancer patient, not being a victim of a disease. I experienced, the only way I can describe it is a I am. Mm -hmm. I was no longer Krista. Mm -hmm. I just was I am. I exist. Mm -hmm. And I exist in many, uh, in many ways that my cognitive or conscious mind had never noticed before. Mm -hmm. And there was peace in that. There was also peace in the idea that, well, here's an example. The first, my first experience with ketamine and I did IV ketamine and IV ketamine um, does render you unconscious. However, my conscious mind and my unconscious mind were both there Mm -hmm. in the experience. I could hear my conscious mind trying to analyze. I'm very analytical Mm -hmm. by nature, trying to analyze what I was experiencing And my unconscious mind saying, no, let's just roll with this. Just be in the experience. So there was that disassociative piece. But ketamine helps you see things from different perspectives. You're seeing it from a much higher level. You are not seeing it from a place of trauma. You're seeing it from a place like looking from 30,000 feet above. Mm -hmm. It does not seem so big or so daunting. And it it gives you a different connection to the human experience that we all are experiencing difficult things. This isn't just about me. This isn't just about my experience, but it's more of there's a collective human experience that comes with the ketamine. And I felt a lot more connected to myself. Amazing. That's amazing. And maybe connected to yourself in a way you never knew existed. Absolutely. Right. Because you don't know what you don't know. You can't feel what you've never felt before. I mean, maybe we felt it as babies and children, but then, you know, again, we get these stories pushed onto us and these traumas hand down to us. We stop becoming our highest self and we turn into 
someone else's story, someone else's trauma, someone else's child or whatever. We become Um, robotic even. I think we become robotic, but then we become steeped in our own Mm -hmm. trauma and in our own conflict. Um, I experienced thoughts of if this is what dying is like, Mm. that it's a beautiful experience. Amazing. In fact, the first ketamine experience within a few moments of being under the ketamine, that was my cognitive conscious Mm -hmm. thought was if this is what dying is like, I would be be okay okay with with it. it. There was a lot of peace to that. Beautiful gift, right? It was like, especially in the cancer world where Mm -hmm. it's like, it's, it's something of resistance all the time. I'm not saying, okay, I actually do believe that there are substances put on this planet. Like when we take it, it creates a dying experience. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, um, I think it's Bufo. It like knocks you out or something, you know, and like, or I don't know, but it creates this feeling of death or ego death or something. And I think in the right context with the right facilitator, like that can actually be a very healing experience for us because it allows us to integrate the after, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of resist Mm -hmm. it, you know, like to integrate that, yes, there is more to what is happening right here. There is a bigger picture. It's not just me in this like flesh and blood. I even had this sense at one point, it had come to me during a, a guided meditation um, earlier this year, in fact, earlier this year, I had a misdiagnosis where a doctor had told me that my cancer had I remember come back. that. Oh, my God. And that, right. And then three days later, I was told that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. During that experience where I thought, I just finished treatment two months ago, and now it's back and it's worse than ever. During that three-day experience while I was waiting to find out, really thinking, well, how much longer am I going to live? Mm-hmm. Um, I had an experience that told me, well, what came to my mind was I'm safe in my body right now, but at some point I won't be. Mm -hmm. And then my body can die. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really resonate deeply until ketamine. And when under that first ketamine experience, I felt disassociated from my body. In other words, I could not feel my body at all. Mm -hmm. I couldn't feel the, the bed I was lying on. I couldn't feel any aspect of my body. I was just this giant consciousness Mm. in this huge expansive really beautiful place that was super peaceful and I could form and shape shift and fly and I was all these amazing things and I had this thought of that body that is left behind right now currently is safe to house the I am part of me Mm. the essence the soul whatever you want to call it but at some point whether it's from disease trauma Old age. Old age, whatever, that body laying mm-hmm. in that bed, it won't be safe to house this mm-hmm. consciousness anymore. And I will discard the body part. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what will happen to the consciousness, but it will keep going and it will be incredible. Amazing. And if it is anything like this space I was in during ketamine, amazing. I'm all in. That is amazing. The way you describe that, like the beauty of if we all experienced that and we were all able to integrate that, like, holy cow, how could we as a, as a civilization, as a planet, how could we evolve? Right. Right. Wow. So I want to go back into that because ketamine therapy is a very powerful tool, but Mm -hmm. you and I, the reason why we're creating our own clinic is because we are seeing these cash cow clinics and they're just pumping people in and pumping them out. And can you imagine someone 
starting to have that experience. And it's actually a very scary experience for them. And they need someone to ground them and talk them through it. There's no one there. You're alone in the room. There's no one there. And like, what do you do? Because I've had a lot of people, not a lot, but a few say, I tried ketamine clinic and I was traumatized. And I would say, okay, tell me more. And they would say, well, my doctor started talking to my husband about my traumas while I was going under. And in my head, I'm like, what were they thinking? That is so irresponsible. No one should ever do that. There should be intention setting. There should be before and after. Like, like with a tool this powerful, there needs to be a whole program, right? Because if we are going to create new neuroplasticity, there needs to be a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it needs to be done impeccably. It has to be perfect. I've, over the past couple of months, been looking into how other people are doing ketamine. What are their processes? Who's sitting with somebody? What are the different modalities that you can take ketamine? And because it isn't widely regulated at this time, that is good and bad. Mm-hmm. Good because it allows people to get into the space and provide a really great service. Yes. Bad because it allows people to get into the space and provide a not good service. Yes. And we're seeing that there are people who are providing ketamine services, but they are leaving people alone. Mm -hmm. They are not allowing them enough time to have the experience before they shuffle them out the door. Um, They're not providing a safe set and setting for people. And those really are unacceptable when you're talking about using a modality that is very, um, it can be very mentally suggestive because somebody's mind is open Mm -hmm. and they have more neuroplasticity, new pathways are being created Mm -hmm. in the mind. And so what happens is very important between time of treatment and what follows. Exactly. Very important. Exactly. We do not want to create harm. The Mm -hmm. purpose of this is healing. And like any therapy, it can Mm -hmm. be abused. So we're creating something that takes into account patient safety. It takes into account Um, really proper and healthy integration, enough Mm -hmm. time to be able to have a full experience without saying, we got to get you out the door before the next patient comes in the room. Um, But we're creating a place that will be safe with well-trained therapists Mm -hmm. who can help facilitate the healing that we're really wanting. And that's based on our own experience. You know, both uh, Jeanique and I have had tremendous trauma related to a disease but also other things in our lives too. Mm -hmm. And ketamine therapy can help people with all sorts of depressive disorders, um, PTSD, addiction, behaviors, suicidal ideations, disease, trauma, end of life type of stuff. And there are people who are not candidates for for ketamine therapy. So we'll be screening who can and cannot get this modality. For instance, uh, ketamine and alcohol don't mix. So we'll be We'll be very, very clear with people that if you are doing ketamine therapy, you cannot be drinking alcohol anywhere near the time before, during, or after Mm -hmm. ketamine therapy because it can have fatal side effects to it. We want to be very careful that people are working with facilitators and therapists who are going to help them create the type of healing that they're coming in for and not just a get high experience because Mm -hmm. I think one of the dangers of an unregulated uh, process right now is people are looking for legal drug dealing and uh, ketamine as a street drug is very dangerous. They call it special K, but dangerous as a street drug because the dosing is not monitored. Mm -hmm. Um, In this therapeutic setting, dosing is done very properly to get the most therapeutic benefits. Right. 
it's interesting because Tristan actually did ketamine therapy. And it's funny. I joke with Kristen. I say, as soon as we open our clinic, I want to be our first patient. <laughs> yes. I don't trust any other place. Um, it's funny. When Tristan went and did ketamine a year ago, it really helped him with his anxiety. He should have kept up with it, but little did we know, right? Now I know a lot more than a year ago. But all they told us was like, yeah, have someone come and sit with you and then drive you back. And thank the stars. Like I knew Tristan very well. I know how to take people in and out of processes. I know when they're in trigger, you know, cause I would sit with him and talk with him through certain things very delicately. Can you imagine if they were like, yeah, make, just make sure there's someone with you. But that person that's with you is actually a very toxic person. Mm -hmm. And so you're doing this ketamine therapy, you have all this like neuroplasticity and the person sitting in the room with you is tearing you down or right. manipulating you or, you know, like there has to be proper procedures in place to make sure that even maybe it's only 30% of people are having a bad experience with ketamine, but can we get that to zero? Yes. Right. And make sure that everyone is, cause I get multiple people that are like, I heard your podcast about ketamine and I done my first session. It's changed my life. Janique, I came in a consult with you. You recommended ketamine therapy. It's changed my life. You know, like, can we get everyone to have a life altering experience? Because if we can, if we can get to that and create tons of trust in this industry, then we'll be able to continue to not only use it, but keep researching it mm -hmm. and expanding it into other areas. Because right. it is like, this is groundbreaking, right? Is. This is like on the precipice of other things to come let's be really, really conscientious with how we're doing it and how it is being spoken about in public circles. Yes. I believe that we can revolutionize mm -hmm. the way that these medicines are being used to treat mental health yeah. or to help improve mental health. I also believe that we will do it right yeah. and do it well compared to what we're seeing out there. Both. You mean you and me? Yes, Hell yeah. Me. Hell oh yeah. my gosh. Are you kidding? <laughs> like... we've, both seen, we've both seen some really negative yeah. downsides mm -hmm. to people who have done ketamine when it has not been done correctly. Right. And we would offer caution to anybody who has seen an at-home type ketamine experience where they mail you ketamine, you take mm -hmm. it at home, to caution people against things like that because yeah. there is really important data that shows that the integration before and after is so important. It's critical. It and, is. And the during part, what is happening during ketamine mm -hmm. while you're in that experience, um, there is not for everybody, but at least in my case, it was a very psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. And I loved that part of it. Mm -hmm. I loved seeing and not understanding why is my brain creating this psychedelic mm -hmm. experience on this medicine. But it took me to new heights as far as realizing I am not my traumas. And I think if we look at as children from the moment we're born, we have this vinyl record of our consciousness and tracks are being laid down mm -hmm. on it right from the moment that we're born and they continue to be laid on top of each other. I believe for me that ketamine took some of those tracks that were negative and toxic and was allowing me to fade them out and lay down healthy new tracks I love that. and see my life, my disease, my family, and the way I set boundaries in a different way. Can I share one experience? Heck yeah. So I have a person in my life who has been fairly toxic to me for more than a decade it's a person who I have allowed to be toxic and have allowed to be mean to me. And after my third ketamine treatment, I had an experience with this person where I experienced them as very rude 
on that day and very inconsiderate. And normally I would have walked away from that, resented it, internalized it, built another story and narrative around it and been angry. But in this case, I decided that because one of my goals going into ketamine was learning how to set healthy boundaries, I felt very empowered after those ketamine treatments. And I called this person after they left my home. I explained to them how I felt that day. I explained how I experienced their behavior. And then I laid down rules and said, these are my boundaries. This is what I can expect going forward. And if not, we're not going to have any kind of interaction with each other. And I felt calm through mm-hmm. that whole experience. No charge, no, no like charge. cortisol pumping through no, you, no, shaking. No, nothing. Amazing. Just, these are my boundaries. This is how I feel. Amazing. It was, I, I didn't even feel like blaming. I didn't mm-hmm. even feel like saying, you made me feel this way. Mm-hmm. It didn't I, matter. No, it didn't matter. Didn't matter. I said, that charge was gone. This is how I experienced you today. Mm-hmm. This is Amazing. what I felt. And this is what I expect going forward. And it has been better going forward because I do have to interact with that person regularly. Mm -hmm. It has been way better. And I have felt far less charged. And I believe that is because ketamine creates death of ego. Mm. And not forever. I think you have to continue to do the Mm -hmm. work, but it gives you the pathway and it it takes down that ego boundary Mm -hmm. to where you see that these parts of my ego and keeping this alive, whether it's trauma or victimization, or whatever it may be, it takes those things that you've been keeping alive with your ego and says they no longer serve a purpose. Yeah. Amazing. How amazing is that? You know, I want to talk about what you've seen in blood work and what I've seen in blood work Mm. with ketamine, because if you guys are familiar with my order of healing, mindset's number one. And it's not just mindset of like, I love myself, but it's literally like, is your brain wired to be in in a parasympathetic state? So that's rest and digest and heal. Or are you constantly in fight or flight? And what puts you in fight or flight? Well, it's the stories we tell ourselves. It's the traumas we've experienced. It's the things that we anticipate, right? Like, and you can think of like, if you were a really anxious kid because you had a very moody parent, you probably started your fight or flight response from then. And now it's like your default mode, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, mindset encompasses all of that, right? I like... For instance, here's an example. This isn't my example, but it's like my only value is me pleasing everyone around me and keeping them happy. So how much hypervigilance goes into that? So going back to the step one of like the order of healing mindset is number one. And then we go into like the nutrition and then we go into the lifestyle changes and whatnot. But you can't try and heal a body when the brain is working against it. You can't heal a body when it is in sympathetic dominance. It's in fight or flight because that fight or flight response, if the brain, because again, neurons that fire together, wire together. If you're in that mm-hmm. fight or flight response chronically, that's your default mode. Then you're going to be naturally releasing higher amounts of cortisol. Your blood sugar is going to be spiking. That's going to be causing inflammation to go through the roof. That's going to be a lot of wear and tear on your body. That's going to throw off your hormones. That's going to age you faster. That's going to create a bunch of problems, right? And so if you're trying to eat a diet to counteract what the brain is telling the body how to break itself down, it makes no sense. You're swimming upstream. So what I, the reason why I recommend ketamine so much is because it can put that brain back into that like rest and digest and heal response. And then we can implement the nutritional changes. And then we're actually working in flow and we're floating downstream. We're no longer swimming up it and healing can be easy. So 
An example that I gave in my last ketamine podcast was someone did ketamine before she came to me and her labs were impeccable. She had some white blood cell stuff, but again, white blood cells tend to change over time if there are infections or whatever, but I don't know. I need more research. But what I saw was this incredible lab result. And she said, that's weird because three months ago, my thyroid hormones were insane and all of these inflammatory markers were through the roof. And I'm like, well, I don't see that. Your body's completely different. And she was like, well, I'm a completely different person since the ketamine. I no longer um, have suicidal ideation and like I can handle life now. And I feel different. And I'm like, yes. And I can see that in your blood work. I have a personal experience with the blood work and it's unintentional. We weren't really looking for this, but it was very interesting. Um, You know, as a cancer patient, I get blood work done every few weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm on oral chemotherapy and I will be for at least 10 years, Mm -hmm. which means that my blood work sucks. Mm -hmm. My red and white blood counts are always terrible. My hemoglobin, my neutrophils, everything is bad. When I get lab work back, it's half red Mm -hmm. because I'm low in so many places. So prior to doing ketamine, I had a regular blood test like I always do. My numbers were as dismal as they have been for Mm -hmm. the past year and a half since my diagnosis and starting treatment. But then after ketamine, I had an oncology appointment. Didn't even think about how the ketamine may reflect in my blood work. But Mm -hmm. I got my labs done, was sitting with my oncologist when the labs popped up on the computer. And I said, okay, how do they look today? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, they're normal. And I said, well, okay, normal for me, normal for Mm -hmm. a cancer patient. And he said, no, normal for a normal patient. So amazing. So my red and white counts were normal. My neutrophils were normal. My hemoglobin was normal. The, and I have not had normal blood amazing. in a long time. And nothing has changed but the ketamine. It's amazing. Because I'm still taking chemotherapy. Right. Like this to me, and again, what we want to do in our clinic is actually because a lot of my clients that come to me for blood work, I refer them out to ketamine. Now I want to refer them to our own clinic. And we want to do our own trials. Like we yes. want to do our own research and see what do labs look like before ketamine and after ketamine. And we want to collect the data on that. I don't think anyone is doing that. Nobody is doing like we will be the first clinic to incorporate nutrition and ketamine and like look at the labs and be like, this is what's happening on a molecular level, on a chemical level. And then when we incorporate like nutrition and supplementation, like holy cow, how like because What I've seen in people with a lot of inflammation is that their ketamine treatments don't hold for quite as long. They have to go back for their bumps more often than those that have healthy nutritional diets. They have to go back for their bumps less. And if people are like, what do you mean a bump? If you have anxiety or depression and you do ketamine and it clears up, you might find after a few months you start going, you might be sliding back into that depressive state and then you just get your like one dose of ketamine and it takes you back up again. So if we can incorporate the lifestyle changes with nutrition and supplementation, that three month bump could be a six month bump, Mm -hmm. could be a 12 month bump. Yeah. You know, like how amazing would that be? It's transformational all around. I I think when people typically do a ketamine treatment, they are looking for just a mental health transformation. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a whole human transformation. We are talking about everything from the how people view themselves and their body all the way to how do they sleep at night? What kind of nutrition are they getting into their body and what are their lifestyle changes like? And if you can help somebody transform their mental health, you can help them transform their lifestyle far better. And that's why there's such great success with people with addiction or eating disorders who have great success overcoming those through ketamine when nothing else worked. And that's amazing. 
So I believe we'll see a lot of that. I think we will. What is ketamine also good for besides anxiety, depression, addiction? Pain. Pain. Oh my gosh. That's a huge one, right? Pain. Oh, actually one of my front desk girls, she has Lyme disease mm-hmm. and she's done all of these therapies for so long. And she said ketamine therapy was the most effective therapy she's done and for her pain with her Lyme. She said it took it away completely. Yeah. And so for Lyme disease, for recovery with things, for, you know, I wonder if, um, what is the research? Have you seen the research around um, body dysmorphia? So it shows that with body dysmorphia, because you have that disassociated Mm. or disassociative factor with Mm -hmm. ketamine, that you do see your body differently. And that's partly why there's such so many big benefits of eating disorders in Mm. ketamine is because you do see your body differently. Gotcha. And uh, for instance, in my case, I, under ketamine, I never actually saw my body, Mm -hmm. but I knew I had one Mm -hmm. and I was happy with it just the way it was. Amazing. So I felt so much bigger than my body Mm -hmm. too. That's part of being this, like in the super expansive space and seeing that I could morph and change and become all these things. My body was just like a, it's just a a vessel, a vessel that holds this much bigger, Mm -hmm. much bigger. I am whatever that is, Mm -hmm. but there is a ton of research. In fact, I, suicidal ideation, PTSD, depression, and eating disorders are probably some of the most heavily researched in ketamine treatment. Mm -hmm. Ketamine kind of came about like most drugs do by accident. Yeah. You know, it was used initially back in the 60s as an anesthesia, particularly in pediatric patients. Ketamine does not affect a person's heart rate and breathing rate the way that other anesthesias do. Mm-hmm. So it is safe for children. And that is something to explore in the future too for ketamine assisted therapy for younger people. Do you want to talk about that really quick and talk about if we're going to be doing children in our clinic? So we're exploring that right now. There's a lot of evidence that shows that ketamine is physically safe for young people. Most clinics um, out there today don't do ketamine on anybody younger than 16, Mm -hmm. but there is evidence to suggest that for children, it can even be more beneficial. Mm -hmm. Children tend to analyze the psychoactive effects of it different. They're not as affected by it. Adults like me tend to want to analyze what did I see? What did it mean? Almost like trying to analyze a dream where children are more neuroplastic anyway. And so it's easier to help a child over something compared to an adult who is embedded and deep in that story over 40 years. Right. But with ketamine evidence, it's still used right now to treat, like if you're on an ambulance and you have a compound fracture because you were in a car accident, they're likely going to give you ketamine Mm -hmm. to knock you out, but Mm -hmm. they don't have to intubate you. They don't have to have you on a respirator, but they can use ketamine to treat that pain. Yeah. Um, They use ketamine still for anesthesia for children. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Both my kids got anesthesia (laughs) last year. And it's so funny. What's really interesting is it was interesting to see them both wake up and see their different experiences. Did they wake up happy? No. Tennyson woke up thinking he was in hell. And, and with what I know about him and his nervous system, he's very anxious. You know, he was older when his Mm -hmm. dad died. I cannot wait to get him in a ketamine chair. I can't because I'm just like, oh, buddy. I There's think a lot of trauma see, here. He There's, will see his father's death and experience so yeah. differently. I mean, I've shared this before on the podcast, but you know, when like kids just don't know how to interpret circumstances, right? right? You know, things just fall out of the sky and they don't know why. And so they attach meaning, like random meanings to it. But Tennyson will ask me several times, why did dad die? And I'll go into my explanation. And then, then I asked him once, why do you think dad died? And he said, because he didn't love us enough. 
wow. to come back. You know, and I'm like, where yeah. did he pick that up? Right. Yeah. And he's carrying that with him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I can't wait for him to get into that space where it's like, no, that's a story. That is something that you picked up that isn't real. That's not true. So it's interesting. So when Tennyson woke up from ketamine, he was like screaming and crying and terrified. When Satori woke up, it was rainbows and unicorns and I love you, mom. And I'm riding on unicorns with daddy right now. And it was so sweet. But her nervous system isn't as amped up as Tennyson's, right? And so again, those two examples are great examples of the kinds of personalities that will be coming into clinics, right? Right. So if you're a Tennyson personality, which I am a tennis, I'm actually a very anxious person, which is why you haven't seen me in a ketamine chair yet, because I am terrified. I have so much trauma, like so much. So that's another story for another time. But if you are that personality, you're going to need a lot of coddling and a lot of handholding. And this is a great therapy if done in the right setting for yeah. you. If you're a Satori, it'll probably work just fine and you probably won't need someone there and it'll just be rainbows and butterflies for you. Right. But not everyone's a Satori. No, and that makes the case for why having set and setting yes. with skilled practitioners yes. is so critical mm-hmm. because you and I both know people who have that anxious personality who have been given ketamine, who have yeah. been left alone or who yes. have been woken up too early yes. and had a horribly jarring experience, jarring. like a helicopter falling out of the sky and mm-hmm. landing back in your body. It can be a horribly jarring experience and that won't happen. No. Not on our watch. No. Oh my gosh. Which is again, why we're doing this because it like one, we, I feel like we are such a sensitive demographic, Mm -hmm. right? You as the patient and me as the caregiver, like this is our walk and our talk. This is, this is our world, right? And we need to make sure the people in our world are protected. This isn't a cash cow. This is, this is, this isn't a business. This is a mission. Like this is a mission statement. This is a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. I, I often, I'm just going to talk about Tris for a second, but we just moved into a new Provo uh, clinic location. And it's funny, the energy I get in here is like, I walk in here and I'm like, this is Tristan's clinic. This mm-hmm. isn't my clinic. Like Tristan isn't dead. Like he's still moving forward in a mission. Right. Right. And like when you walked into my life at the time that you did, like, oh my gosh, it was like divine intervention. And I'm like, that, that's just Tristan moving things in mysterious ways. Like, right. But I even had a doctor the other day say, all these clinics are cash cow clinics. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I know. And it makes me angry because people are so desperate for help. And this is such a powerful medicine. Yeah. But it can be abused. And so just like if you are not local and you're looking for a clinic, do a lot of interrogating. Ask them about their therapist. Ask them their experience. Ask them what is the process, like the moment I walk through the door to the moment I walk out of it. What is happening? Right. And there is a ton of abuse happening. And not to say that everywhere does a poor job because there are places that are providing tremendous services. Mm -hmm. But you do have to be very cautious like you would with choosing any practitioner where you're going to be in a vulnerable state. And just like with any medicine that opens up your mind, you are in a vulnerable state. And we want to be sure that people are protected in that state. Totally. So be very careful with that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This has been phenomenal. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to get this going. If you are listening to this podcast, we're hoping to open our clinic May sometime, mm-hmm. May 2022. Um, so probably summer, early summer-ish. So just keep an eye and ear out uh, for my stories, podcasts, 
wherever we're at, we're thinking right now of calling the Satori Ketamine Clinic. Mm -hmm. That might just be the domain name if you're looking for it. We'll put notes in the show notes if you are looking for more info. But we just wanted to update you guys on these projects that we're moving forward with because, because we are moving forward with it. And we want people to know that there is hope. There, like healing can happen. And one more thing I want to share is there's, I've done a lot of like self-help uh, workshops, right? There was the Healing the Unhealable and the other one with Aubrey called Mastering Your Subconscious. And it was amazing to see how people were transforming in those through these practices and getting these ahas in these group settings. And there was always like that one or two or three people that are like, I just can't get there. And I'm like, I see you. Right. And I know that you've been through hell and your heart walls are ginormous and no amount of cerebral work can probably break that wall down right now. And so if that's you, or if that's someone, you know, that is just, and again, I, I hate throwing the word trauma around so much, but it really does hold weight. And it's a real thing that people are experiencing and we're normalizing. It's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. No, things are not fine. Like if you look at the world, we're not fine. So for you that has been through a lot and has those heart walls and the affirmations don't work and the meditations don't work, like there's hope, there's stuff coming out. There are these things that can really help bring those heart walls down, that can really help you get the breakthrough that you probably need. Because the truth is I can sit here on a podcast talking about my trauma, but I don't know anything about yours. I don't know what it was like to go through what you went through. And so your therapist probably doesn't even know what that's like. They can probably help you to some extent, but I do love that the ketamine therapy is all internal. It's connection with you and your higher self and opening up new neuropathways because again, your trauma and those neuropathways created, they were created for a reason and that was to keep you safe. Right. Just like your ego yes. is created to keep you safe. And there, mm-hmm. there are points in time where pieces of that no longer serve you. Yes. And there are points in time where that wiring or those tracks that have been laid down mm-hmm. are time to have a new story. Exactly. We want to help you have a new story. Exactly. So if this resonates with you guys, uh, stay tuned. There are exciting things to come. We want you to get the mental help and support that you deserve. We're going to be probably going into like the group, the support group. Yes. We cancer want support, cancer caregiver support. Mm-hmm. We're probably even going to be doing retreats. Mm-hmm. So it's funny. I, I'll mention this. Michael Sapiro from the last ketamine clinic, uh, the ketamine episode, he reached out to me and he was like, I want to work with you guys on certain things. We haven't spoken with him yet. So like, you know, don't quote me on all this, but it would be phenomenal to work with him on retreats. And, you know, he wants to be a part of the clinic. And so we're going to see if we can make that work. But there are things coming. There are services coming. Like there's hope. Right. So if you have a friend or family member that is really struggling, maybe share this with them and help them see that there's more. There is hope. And that's it. Any last words of advice you want to give listeners before we wrap up? Um, my last words of advice are hang in there because you can write a new story yes. and that there are modalities available to you that we will provide in a safe, beautiful way. And you don't have to be a cancer patient or caregiver for any of that. And you don't have to judge your trauma and think that your trauma isn't big enough Mm -hmm. or your fears aren't big enough because they are. They are. They are. All of it is. And all of it is worthy, Mm -hmm. just like you are, Mm. to be healed. From the queen herself. 
Speaking of queens, can I just like toot our horns for a second? Oh my gosh. I love that Provo Health is run entirely by women and that the Satori Ketamine Clinic is going to be run entirely by women. We'll probably hire like male. Yeah, we'll hire men. But like this is like it's about time women Mm -hmm. step into these spaces and bring feminine, caring, nurturing energy. It's not about numbers. It's not about business. It's about missions and legacies. What is the legacy that we're leaving behind us? Will I leave the world a better place than when I got into it? That is what this is going to be about. So hell yeah for all the queens. And if you're a queen running a business, I salute you. Absolutely. Go support the queen businesses, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. I love you. And you guys, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast.